my gosh. Can I just tell you how exciting it is to have a composer on our show? Like, it's funny because you came on the show. You've been producing and hosting with us, putting this show out for... God, when, when have you been on the show? I, and I get this wrong. We started talking in August or September of last year. Mm, mid-July. Mid-July. But you we came on the show in August. started talking beginning of July. Okay. We started talking beginning of July. I, I came on in mid-July, yeah. Okay, there you go. So all this time, you've, <laughs> you know, we have this great resource in Andre, this talent in him. And he spent all afternoon along trying to figure out how to, like, be able to literally play the piano and talk to us. Because a lot of times he'll send me these cool videos and then he has his own channels where he plays music and he talks about music and composing and all the stuff that he does. So to have it on the podcast, I have to say, it makes me a little emotional. It's really cool. It's, like, super awesome. Yeah. I'm glad it worked out. So now when we talk about the themes of things, you can just you can be right there. You can just be right there on it. I think that's, dude, come on. That, that's it's exciting. That, yeah. That's some good content right there. That's great content. So uh, eat your heart out other podcasts who don't have a composer <laughs> as a co-host. And insightful and, out. you know, very well learned. And speaking of emotional things, we're going into the last season of Game of Thrones. This whole podcast is about that. We're not talking about anything else. We're going to be, it's kind of like that Game of Thrones primer taking you in. But we're not a primer in that we're not going to recap the show. If you ain't caught up by now. That's get, on you. Get on your job. Get on yeah. it. There's a wonderful list or two out there. There's an EW list by Brian Cogman of the episodes that you should watch to recap. If you have seen the series, but it's been a minute. If you haven't seen the series, take your time. Watch it all. And then you'll, those, those season finale will be waiting on you. So it's not a recap show. The primer, I mean, is like kind of getting us primed for what are we walking into? Who are these characters? What's going to happen? Seriously, what's going to be going down? I'm not ready. I'm already <laughs> like kind of worked up and I haven't seen one frame of season eight. How are you guys yeah. doing? Yeah, same thing. I, I'm in the same boat, yeah. I mean, obviously, I haven't devoted as much time to it as you guys have, for sure. Um, I don't think that matters. No, I think it's a, invested, it's a different place to be. It. Yeah. It's going to be weird me watching it with the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, if that makes sense. Yeah, now... Like, I'll be, like, part of the the viewing. I guess my question for you is because you can't you got to watch it. You were telling us the entire time you were watching it and you watched it in one big chunk down fell swoop. I think it's like what a couple of months you watched all. Yeah, like two months. Yeah. Yeah. While going to school, while living your life, whatever. But like, again, we would have these moments where I would be like, (laughs) what episode are you on? Okay, And I would mirror with you and we would kind of watch along with you. And you were like, it's really nice watching it in my own little kind of bubble without the hype without all of that. Yeah, without the hype, without the opinions I don't want to hear, like, it's great. And, like, I had you guys to talk about it with, and that's all I needed. Like, I didn't feel the need. I mean, I did make the mistake of trying to listen to a Game of Thrones podcast, never doing that again. Yeah. Um, It'd be very frustrating. It's, for some people, it's 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 become, like, the thing to hate for some reason. I don't know. I don't know why. It happens yeah. with popular shows, I guess. People um, hate but, the MCU, too. When I started watching that, it was like, there's a lot of Marvel hate out here. Why? I don't understand it. I don't understand you hating, hating Marvel. It's hating popular things. It's yeah. hating popular yeah, things. I guess That's so. what it is. Um, but, but so no. knowing that, that's where you were watching it. And now yeah. here you are. 
you're in the thick of it now. Now you're us. You're we're watching episode by episode. You're seeing the premiere pictures. You're like me. You're following the actors. You know it's what. So what's that about? How you feel about that? I'm it's going to be I don't know how I'm going to feel about watching episode to episode because like you said I did just all just watch in one big chunk and didn't have to wait for anything and now it's going to be like week to week so I don't know how I can't literally cannot remember the last time I watched the show week to week I literally cannot I mean like I I check in with Shit's Creek every week but yeah that's but I'm not like yearning for the next episode which I'm probably going to feel like I'm going to be doing with this um but no, it's gonna be it's gonna be weird being part of that conversation now. Yeah, for sure. I think I'm gonna well and again, I don't know how you're gonna feel about Mr. Robot, but when that one comes out, when that one's really that one's really tough for me to watch to wait for those to come along. Just like, God damn it. <laughs> so this is but but we are getting almost uh feature length episodes. Uh each episode is like yeah. a feature length. So there's gonna be a lot to unpack from each episode. I feel like that's gonna be something I've never seen before. I don't think I've ever remembered a TV show doing that. Isn't that a first? Mm-hmm. You know, the yeah. show has set so many records, not just to set records sake, because but because the 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 content is so vast and is is in the hands of these masterclass you know, showmakers, they're just they just happen to be setting records. I don't feel like they're like we're going to set the record for the longest blah blah blah. Like they're not doing any of that. They're just no, yeah. They're serving the story. And They're serving the sometimes story. Sometimes that means an 80-minute episode. That's yeah. right. You know, or the, <laughs> the longest battle ever on screen. It's like, okay, you know, we're not trying to, like, kick Ben-Hur's balls or anything. We're just, we're doing stuff. It just well, happened to yeah. be record how many, how many episodes total for this last season? I think it's, six. aren't they saying six? Six. Six. Yeah. And usually they're about 10 they're, to 12, right? They're Around, oh, they're usually 10. 10? Like for, yeah. So they're getting a, they just have to get a lot done. I mean, just epic stuff. A lot of night shoots. You know, you Everybody almost to died. To have yeah. two hour episodes. But you know, for all these people being put through hell, I had to say this: uh, the the premiere last night in New York. Just seeing everybody there, seeing Joffrey mm. there, seeing all the jokes. Yeah. Did you see that the Sophie Turner dates? She's engaged to Joe Jonas, and yeah. she's on Twitter on Joe's Twitter. Sophie's draped around Jack Leeson's neck. You played Joffrey. <laughs> and yeah. Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner are, are made for each other. Joe's standing beside them like, what the fuck? Isn't this dude dead? <laughs> just cuteness. And then, you know, everybody just rolled up. It was just so great to see, like, Jack Nance and, or Dance, Vance. I'm saying his name wrong. That's not even as wrong. The guy who played. <laughs> <laughs> who does he play? <laughs> Lannister Daddy. What's his fucking name? Oh my god! Oh, not that. It's not even remotely close to that. But uh, <laughs> Lannister, Tywin Daddy. Lannister. Tywin. Damn it! Hold on, I'll get there. But like, just seeing all of these faces, seeing the guy who played Robert Baratheon, seeing all these people there, and just going Jason Momoa. Yeah, Jason Momoa showing up, and then you just you look at Melissa, uh, Lisa Bonet, and you think the same thing we all think. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'll think the same thing. Uh, we all like, girl, you need to do yoga. So <laughs> it was just wonderful wow. seeing everybody there. And Emily, Emily, uh, Amelia Clark and Lena Hetty. Was Lena Hetty there? That's the one face I didn't see. I think she was there. Was, was she? she not? Certainly she had to be there. 
Peter Dinklage was there. I love him. Kit's there. Sophie, Maisie, Nicola, Ian Glenn, Alfie, John, Bradley, Aiden Gillen, Freshly Dead. Conleth Hill was there. Gwendolyn Christie, Raina Tart. Did you see what she was wearing? <gasps> she Gwendolyn like, Christie? Yes. yes. A goddess. Oh, keeper. Yes. She was springing. I'm going to chop your head off. Realness. Isaac Hempstead Wright. I never call him by his right name on this podcast. I never remember Isaac Hempstead Wright as Bran. <laughs> I always just call him Bran. <laughs> I feel like he's a grown-up now. He should just go by, he should just, he should shorten his IMDb just to Isaac Wright. Yeah, or, or whatever I think you go Lena Hetty was not there. I don't feel like she was, guys. Because, no, she holds a room when she's there. I know, um... Natalie Emanuel's there. I didn't. I don't remember seeing Rory McCann there. Richard Madden wasn't there. Oh, she wasn't. Rory McCann. Richard was, Madden wasn't. Richard um, Madden and Rory McCann. Uh, the uh, the the Hound. Was he there? Oh, she was. Oh, uh, Lena Headey was sick. Apparently, she was. Oh, that's a bummer. Chris Van Hound was there. Who plays Melisandre? Of course, Christopher Hijvu. Tormund Giants Burn. A uh, Jack Charles Dance. Charles Dance, everyone. Tywin Lannister. Natalie Dormer there. Jack Gleason. I don't know if Michelle Farley came. Catelyn Stark. But there was just so many faces there. I was just like, oh, my God, this is so fun. This is so fun and so nostalgic for those of us who've been with the show for a long time. But also just, like, for you, like, it's you really have absorbed this series, taken it on, and it's just like it's yours now, right? You feel like, oh, this is yeah. part of your DNA. You're like, yeah, this is awesome. What a time to be alive. And I'm, I'm as the as the oldster in the group, I'm trying to remember, like, I love these kinds of things. I love these kinds of shows that have such a massive audience and massive love for them, even though there's a bunch of out, people out there who just like to hate shit. But, like, it, it kind of like that, that – uh, that groundswell excitement that around certain shows like The Sopranos ending, Breaking Bad. Um, was it Lost like that too? Lost had a bit, yeah, that was a big one. I remember everyone talking about that. Like I'm talking about big, sh- a lot of shows end and a lot of people are sad and there's a lot of celebrations, but I'm talking about the, the ones like this. Yeah, but MASH I, was the one yeah. for me. MASH was, that was the one where I pulled over on the side of the road and ran into the nearest motel praying that they would have a TV set in the main area, the sitting areas. That was a kind of a common thing in the South. It was, it was a, you know, it was a tube TV, guys. And I ran in and everybody, the hotel was empty and everybody who worked at the hotel was standing around it. You know, it was like, it was a big deal. You didn't want to miss that. You didn't <coughs> have DVR. You didn't have any of that. So this is one of those things where I'm just like, oh my God, this is so cool to... To be a part of. Yeah. But I'm not going to be ready. And we'll be together to watch it. We will. That's going to be probably my favorite thing of all time. Is the three of us being here to watch this together. That final episode. It's going to be so fun. It's so crazy how that lined up for us. It just is so weird how all of this is lined up. Are you kidding me? I do yeah. believe in those things. I feel like when you're putting yourself kind of in a, you're aligning yourself with certain things in the universe, stuff comes along. I think that's how it kind of goes. So all y'all hating on stuff, you're missing out. I'm telling you. You want to sit there and like, you know, have a stick up your butt. Could be, could be having a good time in the world because, come on. 
it's cool when that happens, right? Let's talk about this. Uh, let's talk about this last season. Let's talk about where we are with these characters. Let's talk about. Well, okay, let's go around the the circle here. What makes this show very special for you guys? What is the thing? If you somebody said, "Why do you watch Game of Thrones? Why should I watch Game of Thrones?" Convince me. What would be that thing? I think from gathering from what obviously what I've seen of the show and also a lot of the interviews and the behind the scenes, I feel like everyone working on the show cares about making a good product. Like, it never feels to me like they get wrapped up in the sensationalism that is this show, and they're just sorely interested in making sure they're making a good show. Like, everyone just cares for the art that they're making. And that's, like, my biggest pitch. It's a whole number of things, honestly. But, like, that, that'd be number one for me. Is that if you want to see a show that is well-crafted and made by people who care about their craft and know their audience, then this is the show for you. That's a really good way to put it. That's an excellent way to put it. I mean, from locations to... It's not just a massive crew just because like everyone has a job they have to work in slog and all kinds of weather and under all kinds of crazy circumstances they're not on sound stages I mean they have sound stages built in for certain rooms and certain work of course but most of these things are on locations from Northern Ireland to wherever the hell I mean you can look up all the locations there's like what 20 something 24 30 locations by now like spread out all over the world and some yeah, of people, something, something crazy like that. Yeah, Some of the people on the cast have never been in the same scene with each other. That, I was watching, nuts, I was watching yeah. an, an, an interview with, uh, it was a collection of people that had like died on the show. And spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about spoilers. Um, but the actor who played Tywin Lannister, what was his name again? Charles Dance. Char- yeah. He was saying that when he was filming that scene where he's like skinning the deer that he was wondering why they were shooting in a tent in a cold field, even though he wasn't outside. Like, why couldn't they shoot, like, inside on a soundstage? And he's like, I didn't realize after that that actually helped just with the atmosphere. So, like, it's literally it's literally what you were saying. It's like they just care so much, and they don't have to go above and beyond, and yet they do. Yeah, and also it translates to the screen. We talk about this a lot of times. People like to talk about, like, Again, I'm not going to piss off anybody who loves Apocalypse Now, but that was 500 days of hell. And when you go and you sit down to watch Apocalypse Now, I don't know that you feel that. I mean, maybe because I know that. I'm like, oh, shit. They just tortured a bunch of Filipino people to make this movie. And people had the people on drugs and having nurse breakdowns and heart, heart attacks. But it doesn't necessarily make it to the screen. Maybe it does and maybe it doesn't. But it's like it's one of these things where with a TV show where all the blood, sweat, and tears really ends up on screen. And that's why it does think it's one of the things that makes it so special, playing into what you said. Um, for me, it's probably one of the best adaptations. The source material is special. Um, you know, J.R. Uh, Martin, J. George Martin wrote this beautiful thing back in 1990, 1991. He was a, a devotee of of Tolkien and he took that and raised that game that in, in and of itself was groundbreaking and special. So no one could touch it. He wouldn't let anybody touch it. 
And when he, you know, you notice you haven't seen like 20 other people try to do Game of Thrones. You've never seen it before. People thought it just came out of nowhere. And these books had been around for 20 years by the time they started shooting this film. So now we're going on uh, 28 years since Game of Thrones has been out into the world, something like that. Um, and to see this adaptation done, there's a lot of people who would argue with me that to say that they didn't do the books justice, but I don't know how you could have done those books any more justice than this. I love yeah, both of sure. them. I really do love both of them. And um, the, the, just, the, just the love and the care that they did with these books. And again, Martin's, he's involved you know he's written some of the key episodes that we all love so that's one of the things that stands out to me is like taking something that was already special and putting it on screen that's why i think uh, why i appreciate the mcu i'm starting to read the comics now and going oh shit they really had this dialed in they really have taken this from the page and, and, and done something even more to elevate it while also honoring the original source material so i appreciate it in that way the same way as um, Marvel. So, love that. What about you, Ed? What's, what's the thing? I, I mean, just, you know, alongside, like, what, what you guys just said, but it's just the way they the way they had thought through from all the way from the beginning, you know, especially when you're watching the later episodes, and then when you go back and watch it again, you're just like, you know, you see the through line of how, you know, it, they're not just, like, wandering around like a lot of shows do yes you know just week to week and it's the same thing again like you bring up the mcu it's like you see real care into your storytelling and i think that's i think it could be what it could be anything the story could be anything and if someone takes the time and the care to 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 really think through what they're doing you could capture an audience you know and i just it, think it's in oh i'm sorry go ahead oh no go ahead go ahead I, I was just saying, I, I think it's incredibly special that this show, spanning, what, seven, eight years now, has managed to tell a completely linear storyline and has managed to keep its purpose for that long. Because, like, <clears throat> like, certain shows you go through each season, every season has a different vibe. Sometimes you get a new showrunner, then the, then the vibe changes even more. You get new directors here and there. And it feels... It, it doesn't feel the same, but it's like still the show. With Game of Thrones, they improve every season, but like the characters and the story are so consistent that you're literally what you could literally watch as just one big story. You could, and and it really mirrors like how you would read a book, honestly. Like that's that's what it like adheres to in my mind. There's, like I think yes. that's really amazing. That is it. That is. I mean, you've said this before when we've talked about it. Like you can't when you go season one, season two, season three, you can't really do that. You're like, what story, what scene, you know, almost like what scene, what chapter are you talking about? Like when you reference a book, that's mm -hmm. kind of how it is for me. It's like, I don't think about them in season one, two, three, four, and five. They do kind of, it's seamless. It's, it's seamless yeah. to me. Yeah. And the casting too. It's like, you know, the, 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 the actors that they got to play the roles, like just like, you know, case in point, like uh, the actor who plays Joffrey, you know, Jack did, Leeson, yeah. did such a good job that, you know, people just in the real world are having a hard time separating the actor from the character. Yeah. You know, he, he well, was, I don't. Cause well, yeah, I don't you don't. But, but you're you but you're you're like that. It was that was one of the byproducts of it. I don't say that we do, but 
it's like he made that character so vile. He was able to tap into that. He was perfect. And it was just like, you know, I, you know, I was just like every time I saw him on screen, I was like, ugh, and like little, with little finger. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, when is this guy going to get it? Right. You know, and so you become so invested in these characters. You said these, that same thing just, about Ramsey. These villains yeah, are Ramsey so delicious. Too, yeah. And they've changed pop yeah. culture. Like, literally, King Joffrey pops up in trivia now. Yeah. Jack's work <laughs> has actually changed the landscape of pop culture. Littlefinger. Yeah. Some people are like, you got Littlefingered, you know, meaning in all kinds of different ways. Like, you know, like just the Purple Wedding, the whole, I mean, again, the memes that just keep on living. The villains on this show live with you. The Night well, it's, King. It's, I mean, yeah. for fuck's sake, the Night King. It's like Yo. you, ha- you have Amelia Clark showing up to present at the Oscars, and she makes a dragon reference. Right. You know, and everybody gets it. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this show, oh, but they were asking people, like, what souvenirs they took away. The actors, went, uh, what souvenirs they took away from the show. And, you know. From set? Been, from set. <laughs> and, um. The guy who plays Derek bon, uh, Derek Dondarrion is like, of course, the eye patch. And I think Sophie said her corset. She said, it's the thing that stayed with me the entire show. And um, the guy who plays Gendry was like, I was on it. That's my souvenir. Oh, that's cool. I was part of oh. it. And yeah. I went, oh. I mean, I wow. got <laughs> choked up. I was just like, oh, my God, I'm going to be a mess. Yeah. See, that's the thing is, like you said, you're not ready. I'm ready, but at the same time, I'm not ready because I I don't want I don't want it to end. I'm barely gonna make it to this podcast. You know? I just teared up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! It's gonna yeah. be. You're totally right. The villains of this show are unlike any I've ever seen in a TV show. Like literally, like and you're right. The Night King, who we've seen like a grand total of maybe ten minutes, maybe fifteen minutes. If you put it all whole, together, all yeah. seven seasons. Yeah. yeah. And for him to be, still be that good a villain, like that's crazy. And he's that's played by two different insane. guys. <laughs> yeah, I. It's and the the fact that and again, Cersei, wine drinking, thoughting and plotting, Cersei. You know, just sitting Ugh. up in her tower like the evil queen. Disney has not even really come close to doing what Lena Headey has done with Cersei. Yeah. And I'm She's so surprised. She's such a fascinating character. I'm surprised. Has Lena won any Emmys for this? Because she show should, you know. She's she's amazing in this, and it's she makes it look easy, and I can assure you, what she's doing is not easy. Yeah. And then there's the characters that you know, we'll just never forget Lady Olena, the way that. Uh, my gosh, the actress's name. She's she's a uh, a legend, but the way she played Elena, just OG fucking strategy, just killed it. Diana Rigg. Oh, thank God, I remembered that. Um, the cast is vast, guys. I'm barely hanging on to all the brain cells I have. So, but just seeing all these performances, Natalie Dormer is Marjorie, just handling one, you know. Lannister after the other, having to deal with all of that. And just uh, uh, Robert Baratheon being, you know, the villain, really. Everyone was kind of at the mercy of this guy's appetites and his laziness and his yeah, carelessness. 
Yeah, and the writers know exactly who to pair with who. I think the the most interesting pairing for me was Marjorie and Cersei and seeing that conflict oh rise. God, so good. Because I think I think it is Marjorie who says to Cersei when Cersei visits her in her cell after she's been um arrested uh by the High Sparrow. Um she says something like, I'm always either one step ahead of you or one step behind you. And that's like at the end of season five. And then by the time we get to the end of season six, she's just one step behind. She figures it out too late and she doesn't get out in time. So like even stuff like that. And of course, her and Cersei and Lady Olena, even the complete power move that she does before she dies, telling Jamie that she was the one that killed, that conspired to kill Joffrey. Like it's, it's incredibly just like, Tell and especially Cersei. when all these characters finally come together. Yeah. Yeah. By the end of season seven. And just, I'm sure we'll see more of those interactions as season eight plays out because now everyone's in Winterfell, essentially. Well, it's also the small performances. Well, not just like the performances like uh, Michelle Fairley, who played Catelyn Stark. She was amazing. She was a powerhouse. Oh, yes. She got there. She showed the story. She made us, she broke our hearts when she was killed, you know. I didn't, I mean, I'll let me some Richard Madden, but I was really just like, I was really upset about Catelyn Stark and the dire wolf. Everybody else, I was like, ah, well, you kind of brought it on yourself, Rob, so fuck off. (laughs) But like her, like trying to like, nobody listens to Cat. She's got this impossible job of trying to hold her family together. She's lost her husband. And just what a powerful performance that Michelle brought to that, you know. So you have those great performances, these big performances by, obviously, uh, Dinklage, who's won again and again and again for his Tyrion. You know, this powerful, powerful theater actor who's bringing that gift to this character and making him, again, an iconic Never, you'll never forget Tyrion. You'll never forget, and Peter Dinklage will always be connected to this character. And he's changed work for uh, actors, uh, dwarf actors. You know, he's changed the game for people. At least that gives opened that path up maybe a little bit in his own way. Those ba- those big performances are huge, but it's stuff like um, it's Ian McKil- uh, McKilney. Am I saying your uh, name not uh, name right? Why can't I talk tonight? I'm so emotional. Uh, Ian McKelney as Barristan Selmy. Oh, yeah. Just oh, yeah. The knight who, who sacrificed himself in that corridor after being through all of these battles and all of this time, you know, serving under this master and that, and then, you know, fighting it out in the name of Khaleesi in that corridor and losing that fight. I was just like, holy shit. He was like the legend's legend. He was the legend's you know? legend. Yeah. Yeah. And let's not forget Hodor. Oh, my oh, God. Man. Uh, yeah. Hodor, man. Which is still one of the, the greatest, not reveal. I guess you can call it a reveal, but how about greatest death scene? Greatest death t- scene, but no, I'm going <coughs> to. Greatest death scene. The, uh, <laughs> what the fuck, Lisa? Uh, just the reveal on that plot yeah. there, man. Come on. I don't know that. We know that Martin hasn't gotten there yet. He's actually admitted by now that the story, the show, got there ahead of him. And now he's struggling to finish the books. And I don't envy him. I can only imagine what that must be like. I mean, that's crazy for him. 
So I do feel really, really bad. Maybe he's just going to let this, this is going to be over. He's going to go back and spend his time. And he needs time, guys, to figure out how he's going to do this. But I don't know that he ever designed this to be this way. Maybe he did. I feel like he's given us something that's going to be revealed in the books and he gave it to the show. That feels like a very much a thing that he was saving for the books that he genuinely gave over to the show. Because that is a very powerful yeah. fucking... Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think, I think I think you're right. I think I remember watching a behind the scenes where David and Dan said that that George said something to him about Hodor and like that's how that came to be. Oh my God. I mean, because... But again, you know, here's an actor, uh, Christian Nairn, who said one word for, what was that, seven seasons seven seasons and oh five he five, died at the end of five. Yeah. yeah that we cared about him so much that we still talk about him yeah. oh man that just i'm just remembering watching that episode and it's just i think you just i just get choked up thinking about it i mean hell we knew we had max von Sydow on the show for like five seconds because he replaced the actor who was playing the original three-eyed raven and when he died i was like damn man don't die. Like every death on this show is either very satisfying or pretty fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, or, no a mix of both. or a mix or of both. Or a mix of both. Yeah. What about like when Egret dies? I mean, that was hard too. That was you, really, really yeah. hard. Saw, we saw the two, Jon Snow and her just, you know, getting so close. That one just, yeah, that one was hard. Also seeing um, Mance Raider. Yeah. His death. You know, you're just like, holy shit. And then Ollie, fucking Ollie, man. Like, you don't blame <laughs> him. And then he swing. Oh, man. There's just. So there's all these performances like this yeah. that these directors, these showrunners, the, everybody was bolstered up by the material, each other, the environment. All of those elements were there because we've gotten some of the best um, acting on a TV show that I think I've probably ever seen. You know, and yeah. I've seen some good stuff, and we've all watched some really good television. Uh, but I'm talking about an ensemble cast that there's not, you don't like, oh, well, I skipped the scenes where so-and-so's in them. You know, there's no character on this show where I go, oh, well, you know, it's that guy's scene. I'm going to go, you know, get a snack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Everyone Jerome has a role. Flynn is Braun. Like, I'll, I'm there for Braun. What is he <laughs> saying? Yeah. You know, Randall Tarley shows up to bully his son at the, the dinner table, and you're like, this guy's holding the screen. This guy's commanding the screen. And then Dickon, you can laugh all you want, but he was great on Umbrella Academy. That's right. <laughs> and him and his daddy died well. Like there's just so there's so many great performances on this. Um, we could just run through this cast. And then for me, I just think how Martin wrote women and how they are depicted on the show. The power, the weakness, the plotting, the glory, the the power mad. You know, going back to that Alina scene with Cersei, when Alina gives Cersei the idea of, you know, kill them all, she evoked the image of the Mad King, and that's what Cersei did. So you have, you know, these power hungry women that prove that absolute power corrupt absolutely. So Cersei's just she's power mad. Uh, when we leave her last. Danny, I'm not so sure about Danny. Danny may seem like she's the good guy, but I don't know. 
she seems pretty destructive to me. You know, yeah, she's she frees the slaves and she does some crazy good stuff, but she also be burning people up with her dragons. Right. Her whole arc getting getting to Dragonstone in season seven is was so incredibly interesting for me because it didn't feel like the the chosen one narrative that we've gotten so many times. She's been put in situations that, yeah, it's easy enough ruling. But what happens when you have to make a decision that that can go either way? What happens when you have to rule diplomatically? You know, people are against you. People are for you. You have to all that whole stuff with Marine and how she like all of that. Like testing her strengths and weaknesses and showing that she has both yeah. was so important for me to feel like that she was a real character and not someone that was meant to sit on the Iron Throne. At least we thought for a better part of six seasons. Right. <laughs> but Well, I don't think that the Iron Throne, we're going to get to that. I don't think the Iron Throne is never meant to exist in the first place. It's always been an abomination against the children of the forest. I think it was meant to not be a part of this world. Um, like the, the they the Andals and the first men came in and took over this world, and the 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 faith of the seven is truly an abomination against uh the old gods. So I feel like that's probably part of this fire and ice thing that's been going on for a long time. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the first person to say that, but uh, how the how this screen version serves that is it's it's all there. It's subtly in a lot of these stories. Let's talk about favorite scenes before we get into some other stuff. Um, what about favorite scenes and then favorite characters? Um, I have to say, uh, there's so many scenes in this. Well, there's the highlight scenes, like Ned's beheading. Oh, my God. That's f- fucked up. Watching both of his daughters' reaction to that. Uh, Jack Leeson really earns his stripes in this because he's laughing. He's smiling gleefully. You see Arya. You see the anguish on uh, Arya and Sansa's face. I have to say that's probably one of my favorite scenes uh, early on. Not because, you know, I loved it so much as it just really summed up how you set a story up to spin off in all these directions. The day that that sword fell and cut off Ned Stark's head in the book and on the screen, it changed the world forever. This one act. This is season one, episode nine, Baylor. And this was directed by Ellen Taylor. And I got to tell you, I just, this is what told everybody that this show had arrived. Everybody was talking, thought they were watching Tits and Dragons and whatever and some little medieval story on HBO. But as soon as that sword fell on the people who hadn't watched the books, hadn't read the books, and this main character, Sean Bean, is dead, people lost their minds. And wigs were snatched. So for me, that was one of those things where I'm like, oh, this is, they're going to do it. I, I felt really good about the show yeah. surviving. Every every action has a purpose. And that that one action of killing Ned set off a whole set of repercussions that still reverberates through season seven. Like nothing happens for, for you know, just for fun. Like, it has serious consequences without... And this is why I still, like, like to compare Game of Thrones to the MCU. Because MCU, the MCU version of that is the Battle of New York. And that sets off all of the Infinity Stone stuff. And the exactly, stuff. yes. <coughs> Watching it now and knowing that, you're like, oh, they... Okay. 
We're not just tearing yeah. the city up for special effects reasons. This is going to have ramifications. I mean, it's deep like that. I'm not saying it's Game of Thrones deep, but come on, there's something to it, right? I don't know. I dare say sometimes it is as deep as Game of Thrones. Uh, Fire and Blood, season one, episode 10. So we're just reeling from Ned Stark got his head cut off, and you're like, okay, this series is off the chain. And then the very next episode, Khaleesi, who you think this little blonde chick, her husband's dead, all of these uh, Dothraki be hating her. She's been cursed. It's all just shitty. She chained up that woman in the fire. She's just fixing to go out. She's just going to go out in a blaze of glory. She's like, all right, I'm done. She walks out of that fire with those baby dragons. And everybody was like, what? Every uh, Halloween costume, by the way, that year uh, that made headlines was somebody with the three dragons and the wig and burnt. And that was that was the Halloween costume, I remember. Everybody, every celebrity was doing the Khaleesi fire dragon thing it was on all the shows but just that powerful moment where you go people are like well the magic came later in the show but you know it they, they really saved the magic for later i'm like bitch did you see the opening scene where the dude was running from like the white walkers in the woods what do you mean yeah yeah and that's that's <laughs> what i always say about the show is when i started watching it i had the the uh um the assumption that this was supposed to be a high fantasy Lord of the Rings type of thing. Right. And as I was watching and getting through it, it became a mix of mystery and political drama. And it was less about the fantastical elements and really just about the people. And yeah, by the time you get into the later seasons, there is a lot more of that fantastical magical element. That's all it is. It's an element. It's not the genre. Right. But that's why also people are like, but I'm not talking about you. This is that was not directed at you, but people are like, it's not. Oh no, I know. It wasn't. Yeah. It was they. They did it much later, and I'm like, it was always there. It was always there in very subtle ways. When, when Daenerys walks into the the flaming hot tub, and doesn't catch on fire and isn't burned, you're like, that's something. Something's coming. Something's on the wind, you know, and. um so I loved that. I love that whole just it, it, I can still watch it again and again. It's probably one of my favorite scenes just to watch her do that. Uh, and later the recall of when she walked out of the temple when she burned all the calls. Yeah, that one was one. Of the yeah. yeah, and she set the women free. Like uh, it's, it's, a, it's a love how the show just bookends this moment with her and the Dothraki of like, did you hear the stories? A lot of y'all weren't around. This was rumor. You see us traveling. Now we're going to go back to the, the homeland here under the, the stallions, and I'm going to burn up all these motherfuckers and ain't no woman going to be, like, sitting around waiting to die. And she didn't Can even I... use her dragons for that. No. That was just all her. No, she just pushed some She just, like, pushed over the brazier. That's all she needed to do. She's like, I got this. Can I... Can I play you the music from that scene? Because that's actually yes. uh, really interesting. See, this is fun. This um, is going to be fun. I haven't figured this out ahead of time, so I'm, I'm going yeah, on the no, fly. No, just wing it. But this we, is know, we know Daenerys' theme, which is... Uh, And then, uh, yeah. And then it goes. Right? And then it does this really interesting thing where it goes. Yeah. 
which is, of course, as we know, the main titles. <gasps> and it's cool because me, this is my personal assumption. This isn't from the composer. He hasn't talked about this. But when I hear, or any variation of it, that to me is is referencing the scope of the story. Because right. as, as we're going through the main titles, we're, we're literally going all over the map. And it's interesting when that comes up in certain scenes, because when Daenerys comes out of that flaming hut, that it, that's it. Like, Westeros is, like, done. Like, yeah, that done. is going to have ramifications. Like, and isn't that how she gets the Dothraki army? Yes. There you go. That's what it is. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really interesting when it comes up. Every time when she has a win, and when you hear that theme again, she's going across the narrow sea. Finally, someone said, you know, I think it's... um. Who she friends on all the time? That guy, Grayscale, guy Kira. Sajora. Oh, um, yes. Sajora. Sajora's like Jorah, you know yeah. they won't get in the they won't you know put their horses you know in ships like they how are you gonna get these dudes across the water when they the only the only sea they're into is the grass one. So when you see her you know with her ships going across the thing, you hear that theme, and it's like every time she gets a win. When she's mm-hmm. just one more piece in her puzzle, her theme just like shoots up and you're like, oh, shit. Oh, God, girl. Yeah. yeah. And this is also really interesting. That's is the that non-musical the main, explanation. The main <laughs> instrument that is used to play her theme is an electric cello. What? Which is not a regular cello, obviously. It's an electric cello as a contrast to the regular acoustic cello that we hear throughout the show. What? So it's almost like saying she's like an upgraded version or something like that. Like, I think there, there's something to that, that he um, use, purposefully uses an electric cello rather than just an acoustic one. Gotcha. Um, I'm going to skip into season two and talk about um, episodes that really stood out. I mean, there's so many of them, but it's Blackwater, season two, episode nine. It's the Battle of Blackwater. This is when we start getting a taste of what the battles um, are on this show. And again, they had some budget. This wasn't Battle of the Bastards budget by any stretch. This wasn't, you know, the Battle of Marine budget. But I think they did pretty fucking well with what they had to work with. They got it across. I think so, too. Yeah, yeah, after reading that battle in the books, I was like, oh, so that's what it looked yeah. like. That wildfire looked pretty damn good it to me. It looked pretty damn good. You got a huge demonstration of what wildfire was, and then later you got <laughs> even um, yeah. more yeah. clearer point of what Dragonfire <laughs> does when Cersei killed them all. So that one was kind of one of those standout episodes. You're like, oh, this show's not playing. They're going to actually do the big scenes. They're not just going to make it a bunch of standing around in corsets and costumes and having conversations. We're doing yeah. shit. We're actually going to walk out of fires and have dragons. Cause it's like, if you start reading these books, you're like, how the fuck are they going to do all that? They did it. Uh, probably I have to say, this is probably one of my favorite scenes in the series. Anything that Daenerys does is like, we talked about these big moments, like the dragons. Damn. Um, she kills all the calls. Damn. But this one where, this motherfucker has just been shit-talking her. This is season three, episode three, Walk of Punishment, where this slave trader oh, and Marine oh, is, yes. or Yashar, yeah. where, Young Kai, where this motherfucker's from, just shit-talking Khaleesi the entire time, just mansplaining the hell out of her. And she's just sitting here with her translator because he thinks that, you know, she needs her translator for this. Doesn't know that Mother of Dragons is the mother of ESL. 
She like <laughs> knows all the languages, all of them. And he's she just got like, pulled out of class. Yeah, bitch. She whore. Yeah, she did. She's like, I already know this, y'all. I already. All right, I'll play along. You're new here, Danny. Play along. So then, you know, th- and we just love it. We just love it. We know it's coming. You kind of know it's coming, but you you also you just know it's gonna be good. Yeah. And when he she sells her dragon, I forget which one it was. I want to say the Syrian. Or I think, yeah. Was no, yeah, I think it was Viserion, yeah. She sells Viserion to this dude. And it might have, oh, it might have even been Drogon. I don't know. But, like, she, I thought like, like we needed to probably know that. But anyway, one of her dragons. And then she's on the end of that chain. And the dude's holding him. And, it's and he's like, like tell this pulling, whore, yeah. tell this Dothraki whore or whatever, like, da la 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 la. And then she just starts speaking his language. <laughs> and everybody head turns. And the Unsullied are standing out there like, mm. everybody's neck just kind of rolls in, in unison like, yeah, <laughs> you're going to die. And I loved that moment. Was that was her theme played there? Do you remember that? I know we had that kind oh, of. I don't uh, remember. It's the oboe. Is it the oboe that makes that sound? That There's something that's part of that sound. Oh, the, every time the, the, the dragon breathes yeah, fire, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that. What is that? I don't know. I want that to be like my ringtone <laughs> when someone I don't like calls me. Just I'm about to drop <laughs> some knowledge on them. But when she like when that dragon sets that dude on fire yeah. and she turns around and addresses everybody in the native tongue that homie's been saying at her this entire time, I still get chills. Sometimes when I'm just in a bad mood, I'll just watch that scene and it will just cheer me right the hell up. So, yeah. Um. Obviously, we can't get over the reins of Castamere. This is the Red Wedding. One of those scenes where it's the gift that keeps on giving. Anybody who has never seen Game of Thrones, you wait for these pivotal moments. You wait for Danny to walk out of the fire, and then your friend goes, y'all, she walked out of the fire. Mm-hmm. Then you wait for, she set that dude on fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then you wait for the call about, <laughs> what happened what am i watching why they're all dead what every single friend of mine who's ever watched this you wait for the moment in season three episode nine reigns of castamere and you start to learn the importance of that song even if you're not a person who's aware of music in a show and as well you've taught us even further beyond what we rudimentally knew about the music in this show um Dwadi, he is not messing around with you. He's like, yeah, if y'all hear Reigns of Castamere, Someone you better die. run. You just better run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody Should I demonstrate yes, the off chance it. no one knows what, what it is? Yes, let's do Reigns of Castamere. And you know why? First of all, <laughs> you're playing the piano on the show finally. And oh, my God. Oh, 
it's such a sweet sounding song, right? And then if you ever read the words to it, it's a very menacing war song. It's a song yeah. of boast, of war, of betrayal, of turning the tables on your enemies. But it also makes me cry when I hear it, you know, in this form and just plain piano and just done in such a, a beautiful way is uh, I just think about Michelle Fairley. This is her last episode. And they said that when she did this episode, even when the camera wasn't on her, she committed to this scene. I didn't know this until I had read this article with Cogman that no matter what was going on, no matter who they were on, whose angle they were on and shot they were on, over the shoulder, whatever, she was just 100% in this moment and played this devastated, uh, just horror-stricken Catelyn all the way out the door. Just... What was her Emmy? Anyway, she's the one who nails the scene home. It's it's you cut between the smirk of Walder Frey, you hear the band playing Reigns of Castamere, and you cut to just Michelle Fairley's face and you're in it. And it yeah. takes you right and to you, this horrible moment. And you said that that song is specifically about Tywin, right? Yes, it's about how Tywin uh turned the tables on his his um his enemies. I think he like he pulled the same number that they did later on in this series where they sent uh, a, a decoy off in another direction. And while the decoy was off somewhere, they surrounded um, the fort and killed them all. That's how they took, I think, Casterly Rock. Mm. Um, it was some kind of, don't quote me, guys. I, I can't remember the battle now. But their whole basis of the Lannisters becoming the Lannisters, they started out as, as the lanes. Um was through trickery and through um, this kind of skullduggery stuff. So that whole song is about this is what we do. And what's interesting in that scene especially is that it's it's interesting where the band is placed because they're placed above everything else. So it's right. kind of it's literally kind of like the Lannisters are the puppeteers and the Starks are the marionettes. Like yeah. they're the ones controlling everything. Like I, I thought that was. Before. So genius. And I, I think had from no then idea. on <laughs> that was pretty cool. I think from then on that Reigns of Casimir is directly tied to the Lannisters as their their theme. So specifically Cersei. Yeah. Yes. Yes. A lot of stuff with Cersei and that theme coming. And also just on its own, it's a song that kind of carries its own foreboding. You'll see it played in like a couple times and like one time in an inn when shit's fitting to go down, you know, with uh the Lannister army. You know, they're just wherever that song is. Yeah, it's kind of like a death knell. It's it's a yeah. death knell. It's a, it's a death knell. It's like when it's like oh, like we, Martin uses sigils a lot, and he uses banners and things like that. You know, the sigils and the banners, but music specifically, he uses it in the book as well. So there is that one scene that they do when they hear the reigns of Castamere, and you're like, oh shit, you know, who's gonna die? Who's gonna die? Um. Let's go on to season four, episode six, The Laws of God and Men. This is where, you know, Dinklage was good in the series. He had amazing performances. He held the screen. He held his own. And he was he was wonderful from the first time we saw him in the whorehouse. And when he's telling Jon Snow to own the name, you know, the 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 word bastard and take its power away from it and appropriate it for himself. He's been good even since then when they were dying his hair blonde and making him look 
I did not like that look on him. I like him now as like <laughs> shaggy with the beard and crusty. But like he was just he was killing it then because Dinklage is Dinklage. But by the time we get to season four, episode six, he's totally settled in who to Tyrion is. He's made Tyrion him uh, his own, even beyond the books. Um, I'm not gonna say that Martin doesn't know how to write dwarves very well, but I, I do take a little bit of offense as <laughs> the way he describes Tyrion in the books. Um, he's making him look like a monster. I don't know if that's the perception of other people. I don't know. Um, but but Dinklage takes this and gives this character just a full three-dimensional purpose and swagger and arc. And when we get to Laws of Gods of Men, this is when he's on trial um, for... Uh, what has he done? I forget what he's done. He's betrayed The attempted s- murder of Bran? Is that that's what, right. Is that the one he's, up in the... Yeah, well, no, he's on he's on trial because Cersei thought he killed Joffrey. That's right. That's, That's it. It was a bigger oh, one. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's on trial for Joffrey's murder, and it's that whole speech, the way he is in the box, the way he's there in front of the whole kingdom, kind of like taking it on full. He knows what people's been saying about him. He knows what his father thinks of him, and he's a man on his own. And this is what probably won him as what third, fourth Emmy. Um. And, you know, I'm not a big trial person. I don't like being a trial. I just don't like trials in general. Um, but this one, this one got me. This one totally got me. Was this also the episode where he was talking about um, that monologue with the the Beatles? Yes. Is that the one? I think it, when Jamie comes to see him in the cell, it's kathunk, mm. kathunk, kathunk. It probably yeah. is around that episode, probably the same episode. But Dinklage, he just shines in this one. He's really good <coughs> in this one, and I love him later in the in the uh, in in the uh, the Marine scene, the Battle of Marine, where he's like, you know, thank you for the battalion or the Mara- Armada. Our queen does like ships, <laughs> you know. His whole little <laughs> yeah. speech about you know squaring off of those guys, but uh, that one, this one was his big one of his bigger moments. Um, I have to say there are, there are epic scenes and I want to go too much into them, but I want to go skip down to, uh, hard home. Hard home is one of those things mm. where I didn't expect hard home to even happen. It's not in the books yeah. where you're beyond the books. I didn't know what to expect. And we knew that the white walkers were coming, but when we get to see them in their almighty glory, I have to say I was shook. Yeah, was that the first oh, yeah, time you're shitting bricks? We, yeah, we, it's the, is it the first time we've we've seen the we've, army at work? Yeah, they've just been kind of loping along, just being White Walkers and emerging in the snow and and killing random, yeah, you a know, random thing or yeah. two, like a little drive by. But all of a sudden, just put down. Yeah, all those people become these whites of the the White Walker army, and you're like, oh yeah. shit, this would make Rick not do a monologue. Like on the walking dead. <laughs> he just shit a brick and just fall over. So seeing that was very impressive. I loved the CGI. I loved that it was handled. And it wasn't just an action scene. Again, there was a purpose to it. John goes to Hard Home to try to recruit the tr- uh, the, the the everybody, you know, in the wilding uh, factions across the the way. Because all of these different groups don't fall in league with one thing. They fly under their own banner. So it's literally like the Camp David at Hardhome turns into a slaughter and now the Night King has got an actual yeah. giant in his army. And you see just like how 
unstoppable this force is that's coming at you. And it puts it really puts that weight on, you know, when the, later on in the in the series when they start going down south, and they're telling him, "Look, you know, the dead are coming." And it's not just like, uh-huh, yeah, we needed know? to see it, and we needed to see it alone with our wildlings and with John because now we're yelling at Cersei, we're yelling at Danny, we're yelling at everyone who will listen. Whatever you think you got going on, you need to drop it right now. So, the heartbreaking episode, the door. Oh man! I don't think I'm over the door. I no. think I'm still. I think I'm still processing the door. And that was end of season five, as you say. So I'm like, that was kind of a little bit nuts. And we lose another direwolf in that episode. We too. yeah, we lose Summer. Oh. So we're just down to. Um, Ghost and um, Nymeria. Nymeria out in the woods doing her. So I had no idea this was coming. I had no idea. It was such a beautiful surprise. I stayed away all week on social media from this thing because I was like, I don't want to know uh, what's going to go down with Hodor or this episode. But there was like little murmurings out there. So what they did with this story. Yeah. And it was also just a handing over and making Bran who he is. It served this long game that we invested in Bran of who he was supposed to be. That whole thing killed me. Also, the whole Children of the Forest facing yeah. off with the Night King. He was like, bitch, you made yeah. me. You were, you were the literal one who made me the Night King all those hundreds of years ago. So now you get to be extinct because you made a weapon out of me and going to the article we're about to talk about the Night King, what the actress says about the Night King is he was made the Night King against his will and he's not happy about it. So he's yeah. shown up, his, his number one major attack is to go into that cave and let the children of the forest know you wanted to survive, now we're making you extinct. So it was his first real salvo. Yeah, he's at hard home and he takes an army and all that. He's been taking souls out beyond the wall for a minute. But when he stands off and he literally makes the origins of this world it go away forever. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's a pretty crazy way to start this battle. A little thing with the with the music, nothing I can play because it's kind of uh, sound based, but... <clears throat> it's really when we start to hear music associated with uh, the Walkers and the Whites in that um, uh, Ramin Jawadi decided to do this really cool thing where there's a technique that you can do on stringed instruments called colenyo, where you turn the bow around and you hit the, uh, the wood part of the bow on the strings. So it creates this smattering sort of clacking kind of sound. Oh, wow. And he said... It, and he said he wanted to get like the sound of like skeletons. So he used that as sort of like aleatoric sort of random randomization of the sound and everything. Jesus. Everybody wow. shows up for their game, right? Um, I'm not going to go into these too much because we've seen them, but battle of the bastards still could watch it again and again. Epic grueling. Rickon, why couldn't you serpentine, zigzag? Serpentine, motherfucker, serpentine. Zigzag. Um, 
how how Kit Harrington looked like he was the most miserable motherfucker on the planet. <laughs> oh god. Sansa being all like squad and uh <laughs> and then her coming into her her bloodthirsty starkness at the end where she gets her revenge and she walks away with Ramsay screaming in the cage with that little smile on her face. I was like, yeah. Snap. Yeah, it seems like at that point she started to bring in like close to her the people she's going to off. She brings in Littlefinger. Yeah, she's to, got her own list. She's got yeah. She's got her own she list. She does have her own list. She got a grocery list, but yep. damn, you're going to die. Yeah. She sure does. Um I also like that she has a hand in sort of changing the look of the Stark. She's built all of this. She's built, you know, the uniform for the new Stark look. She's brought this kind of elegance to her and John and they I feel yeah. like they're adults now. They step into this mantle and this is part of ruling, you know. Uh, and they're not just yeah. standing around going, winter is coming. Like, they're literally dealing with, <laughs> it's here, bitch. It's here. Yeah. It's, I think it's, it's interesting for both John and Sansa because they, especially in season seven, they really, really start to take on the personalities yeah. of uh, Catelyn and Ned, even, like, in the way they dress and just the the cold exterior Sansa has adopted after like suffering all of these atrocities in the past seasons that she cannot risk letting herself open up to anyone else. Well, I mean, yes, exactly. And, and just she, yeah, she's, she's carrying all that with her and she doesn't get John's compassion for anything. You know, she's like, dude, I've been raped, you know, repeatedly. I've yeah. been same thing with Arya. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, but so her that whole conflict that she has with John there for a minute, you think it's going to destroy them, but I feel like that's kind of like what makes the Starks uh, really strong, yeah. and what made Catelyn and Ned strong until you know he made this fate, you know, fatal mistake of going to the capital. So mm, yeah, yeah, it's just just the look of yeah, they take on that whole. I take back Winterfell. It's like you like that. I think that's the point when I started to respect Sansa as, yeah. as the character. I was like, okay, you know, now it's not these flights of fancy, and you and you don't want the dress and the the the, the most beautiful queen or whatever whatever she says early on. You know, we're just like well, rolling your eyes at this little girl. She took you know she she learned the the cruelest hardest way. Yeah, came out on the other side of it survived it, became made of iron and knowledgeable. She's not stupid at all. She turns out to be quite intelligent. And when she's, when she takes the role, she truly shines in it. And then she takes all of her skill set at, you know, embroidery and, and building her own costumes and turns, you know, makes stark uniforms. So not for nothing. She, yeah. It's interesting how both Arya and Sansa, <clears throat> in a weird, convoluted, twisted way, ended up getting what they wanted. Because Sansa, Sansa was the one that wanted to be the queen to the king, to be, you know, the lady in the tower. And Arya was the one that wanted to be on the battlefield. She did it. And in a way, they both got that and saw that maybe this isn't what I want. Like, well, they this paid is a great really price it for is. it. They, you know? they, felt they certainly paid for, for it in, in, with blood. Um, yeah. And with pain. So, yeah. And, and going into what Arya has become, Arya is, she's a bravosi. 
she may be a Stark in her blood, and, and I think we'll see her Starkness emerge in the final season. But she's become a full-blown bravosi. And, it, and you see in, in, episode, in season one, uh, I think the Faceless Men have chosen her. I think they put themselves in her path. I think they've been, she's part of their destiny. I think she's been foretold in uh, bravosi uh, lore. And I think she's there, Azora High. And I feel like uh, Cyril Forel, uh, uh, Forel yeah. is Jakana High. Jakan. Jakan. Uh, Hagar? Jakan Hagar. Yes. Oh, interesting. I think he is the same person. And I think he was Ooh. there with Arya teaching her uh, as that man and getting her warmed up and getting her into it. And again, if you look at some of the same things he's teaching her between Sirio and the Waif and Jakan, it's the same movements, it's mm, the same yeah. lessons, and she's evolving with them. So I feel like she's got a destiny. She's been chosen just as Bran's uh, future was laid out for him. Sansa's future was laid out for her. John's future was... All of these people have destinies, and they step into them through great sacrifice and pain. So seeing Arya being this little killer, when she steps into that courtyard with Brienne and they have that oh, fight. Oh, yeah, that's just intense. Oh, the I way love she that stands there, awesome. the way she holds herself and she's got her sword behind her and she's got a needle behind her, it's like, I'm going to take down this mountain of a woman because, you know, she's been on the road. Well, she's been uh, hunted. She's been on the road with the hound. She's seen injustice. She's seen the life lessons weren't just at her father's knee. She lived them. So it'll be interesting to see what goes on with Arya, but I'm getting to Arya. Winds of Winter, I won't go into it too much, but that was one of those episodes, season six, episode 10, where Cersei just goes fucking wildfire on everybody, kill everybody, and basically yep. she wipes out the house Tyrell in one fell swoop. I don't think there might be some cousins out there, some eighth cousins, but after this, nobody's going to be rolling by the name Tyrell anytime soon. She, she kills the house of Tyrell and is sipping her wine in great victory. And then her son <laughs> steps up on the ledge. Tommen, the good one. Well, I think also Marcelo is good, too. Um, was murdered by the Sand Snakes. Goes right out the window. And that was one of those moments, too, where I was like, what? Yeah, what? yeah. That was this, weird. Yeah, yeah. This, is, <laughs> this is, I I think it's safe to say, at least for me, that Winds of Winter is probably one of my favorite episodes of yeah. ever. There's just so much in that episode, and it that it opening sets up season seven quite yeah. Oh, play oh, us a little oh. bit of that opening because that oh, okay, I'll play, because I'll the play whole be- of the, the whole beginning of it is like the the storytelling is everybody's getting ready, everybody's getting ready for this day in court, and Cersei is getting ready for something completely different. Yeah, and it's crazy because obviously this is the first time we've ever, ever heard a piano in the Game of Thrones score. So right off the bat, he's cluing you into something that is not completely right. So the doors of the Septibaler open and all you hear is... And then it lingers like for the longest time...
And it's so interesting how he decides to just linger, like oh. like you're holding your breath for something. And I was. And it, oh. it has so many different stages, but once you get into the... All that stuff. I think that is the heart of Cersei's theme. <gasps> I think that's sort of arpeggiation is like really at the heart of it. And when things really start kicking off the... All of that stuff. And by the end, and this is what, again, what I'm talking about of the, the main titles showing up in very convenient places. Right up to the very end when the Sept of Baylor is just about to blow, you have, of course, the... And it's doubled again. Like, like, urgently, like, doubling at the octave, really just, like, hammering you in, like, it's going to happen. This is going to change Ugh. things forever. Jeez. And it's so, it's such an amazing piece. It just doesn't not, sit there. It's not background. It's not wallpaper. It literally tells the story that you're just, ah! Yeah. Mind yeah. It's it. so good. And then later on in the episode, when with uh, Cersei's coordination... Like, it's very, like, moody sort of, like, really moody sort of ambient sort of thing. And then when the crown is placed on her head, and you hear this. And I can't play it because it's really, um, really complicated. But as that's going on, you hear this familiar tune. And it gets even busier. And it's literally, it's so interesting to me. Like, the the narrative the music is telling, it's literally saying, like, this two, these two parts of Cersei's identity are literally at war with each other. Like, she's a Lannister, but then she's becoming her whole other person. Because as soon as she loses... Tommen, it's over. Like, and she doesn't even allow herself to feel the grief of losing her last child. No, she's, she's mad. like it. She's like, this is yeah. I'm the queen now, and it's it's just so interesting to me. It's she's like the mad it's crazy. Queen. Yeah, and I love you. And when you demonstrated that to me, this is the first time you played it on the podcast. But you played this to me when you were sending me these texts of videos. I was like, what? Like. It's something that's obvious, but it's not, but it's not, it was just reinforced by what you were telling me about the music. I was like, holy shit, she is at war with herself. I mean, to and the, the mad queen is winning. To the point where, like, when, when um, Jamie rides off at yes. the end, it's like, now this one person, who, this whole time you've said, it's just you and me, you need my only love and this and that, it's like, you're going to leave now. I will have the mountain kill you if you turn your back on me. That's right. So it's like she's not even a Lannister anymore. Yeah. Yeah. She's this whole new thing. She's the Mad Queen. And can I also just point out that when um, <clears throat> we cut to Tommen right after the Septa Baylor has been blown and we cut to Tommen and he sees the wreckage, you notice that his view is obstructed by these, these curtains, whereas Cersei's view wasn't. That's right. It was right. completely open, but Tommen only sees like the wreckage. 
And the two pillars really stand out in that scene with him because we were talking about before how the crown and the faith are the two pillars that hold up the world or something like that. And now the two pillars are showing him what that has led to. Shut up. Yeah. You're going to have to watch that episode again. What? What is happening? We got to watch that episode when I get there. Dang. Well, just you won't see anything of LA. It'll just be you flying here. <laughs> yeah. we'll sit in the living room and watch Game of Thrones. All the way through. We'll go watch Endgame a couple of times. We'll just watch Game of Thrones. We'll never leave the house. We'll order pizza. How was LA? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I hear it's pretty horrible, so I'm glad we didn't see any of that. Um, the cake's $20. Why leave the house? So obviously, uh, that was amazing. That was amazing. Okay, I have to go and watch it again. The Queen's Justice Season 7, Episode 3. This one where it, a lot of chickens come home to roost. This is um, setting us up um, for a bunch of stuff to come. But this Queen's Justice episode is Cersei running amok. She gets Illyria in the black, in the black cells. She, with her daughter, gives her poison. Says, you got to watch your daughter die. This is where Lady Olena dies. Dame Diana, all hail. Chick did this entire scene sitting down and killed it. Y'all young actors want to like study how you command a scene and you don't. The blocking is she sits the entire time. That was great. Um, And then she gets her digs in, you know, tells Cersei, I want her to know it's me. Um, just just really small but large things happen in the Queen's Justice. It's one of these underrated episodes that if you want to go back and just see whom everyone's made of and just want to see how to move plot along in a TV show, it's one of my yes. favorites. One Absolutely. of my favorites. And then, of course, there's the big one. Follow, you know, then, you know, you get your breath. You get to see the Queen's Justice to go, oh, death. Revenge. Hmm. Everything's served cold in small rooms. It's all on little sound stages. And then you go to Spoils of War. And it's like, okay, we're going to take this shit outside. And this is where we first see Drogon and Danny, who's impatient with this bullshit. She's tired of it. Everybody's getting the upper hand on her. She's come across the Narrow Sea. She's got the Unsullied with her. She's got the Dothraki. She's done the, all this stuff. She's been everybody's girlfriend, and she's sick of all this mess, and she's ready to take what's hers. And she rides Drogon with the Dothraki straight into the Lannister army. And there's that whole loot train thing oh, that goes yeah. down. Oh, Epic, yes. crazy Braun with the crossbow, you know, Braun trying to hold the it scorpion, down. Yeah. Braun's just fighting the war by himself. Like, I don't, I didn't want to be here today. I did not want to be here today, but I'm kind of trying to kill the dragon. Not going <laughs> to save Jamie. I just, can somebody just give me a lordship and give me a house? Just give and me a let castle. That's all I wanted was a castle. That's all I wanted was a yeah. castle <laughs> and a bitch and a title, and I'm out. So, it just, and not without its humor. And then you get to see these these Lannister the Lannister army just looking dead in the face of like these screaming Dothrakis who are just riding in like, you know, we don't sit on our horses, bitch. That's just a means we to stand. come and kill you. Yeah. We just, oh. Right through the middle of them. And then Drogon is just like, yeah, and that the skipping over the water when like his oh, center yeah. of his body creates it's that sh- kind of crevice. Yeah. Oh man. She's literally parting the Red Sea. <laughs> and I'm like, shit. This is what yeah. we have budget. It serves the story. 
they'll talk about it for a long, long time. Yes. Um, and of course, we'll end up with just best episodes. We're not done with the podcast, but The Dragon and the Wolf. Season 7, Episode 7. This big meet and greet. Everybody. We've talked about this a little bit. But the whole wonderful bit of Danny making Cersei wait for probably a whole four minutes. Not even that. Literally, yeah. <laughs> and she rolls up yeah. on her dragon in where they used to keep the dragons locked in and Drogon's just stomping around, kicking rocks off the top of it, going, fuck this, <laughs> fuck that, yeah. fuck this, fuck that. Climbing <laughs> down the side yeah. of that thing. Yeah. God, I just want to move some other stones around. I hope you're not making this, on, put this on the historical registry because I'm about to fuck it up. And so <laughs> <laughs> then Danny, you know, like, he just puts a wing down like, all right, girl, I'll come holla at you later. But uh, this whole scene where you see all these characters together was mind-blowing to me. Yeah. Yes. And it could have gotten away from them. It could have been a mess. It could have made no sense. But this show does this really well. It does big things well. It does small scenes well. It does small characters. It does large characters. It does good villains. It does great heroes. Although it's questionable whether anyone's a hero on the show or anyone's really a true villain. Well, Ramsey, he was a piece of shit. In little <laughs> finger. Yeah. What am I saying? Uh, and the mountain seems to be pretty crazy. Anyway, I take that back. So when we get this demonstration, we're all here to do a demo, a live demo for Cersei to say, the White Walkers are coming, the Night King's coming, he's real, whatever you're fu- fucking with, whatever petty shit we got going on between us, we got to stop the White Walker army or we're all dead. We're all D-E-D dead. And yeah. what I love about all of this, we have this big grand scene. We have all of these actors in the same room. And you know who really commands this entire thing is Lena Headey again. Lena, yes, really, I was just about to say, in yes. her obstinance, just all she has to do again, actress steady and doing a scene sitting down. She sits there the entire time and she just uses the arms of that chair like nobody's business. She leans on him and she grips them and she leans back in her chair like she's just working that chair. I'm like, girl. <laughs> and just because of her. What she has become, what is she? she's becoming, it's really all about her. The episode's called yes. The Dragon and the Wolf. We see Danny and John about to hook up. That's your aunt. That's your aunt. Anyway, you're about to see that possibly go down or fit to go down, but it really, this whole episode to me was about the brilliant Lena Headey. So. Absolutely. That entire scene for me is completely on Cersei. Like, you, she comes in, you hear her theme, which, again, really interesting. Mm-hmm. And this is also one of the rare times where she sort of lets the facade slip and she can't help it. Yeah. I think the one, the one other time is the walk of shame where she's she's going through it. She's on the brink of tears and she lets it go once she's inside the Red Keep. And that's one time we, we see, like, the facade crack. And then this other time is when the white charges at her and then she suddenly can't hold and she's terrified and you see actual fear and i i I always love watching that scene because i think it's so interesting to me i think it's funny that uh, i'm sorry sorry. no okay um i cut you off i'm an asshole no that's okay i think i I think i cersei um, the white rushes at her yeah no it was just interesting for for the character that that she could maintain 
even when Danny comes in and she's she's trying not to show that she's impressed by her beauty and her entrance, but she can't hold it for this. And it, and specifically how it goes directly to her. Like even though it's yeah, he's she, she's directly in front of him, yes, but it's telling that he goes um, I don't think that's also what I was going to say is what I was interrupting you with on the way to make my breathless take on this is that, <laughs> that there's the hand that remains of him. Um, mm, yeah. His hand is crawling around on the floor. Put a pin in that. Coming back to that later. So what we love about this scene, what I love about this scene is that we're all trying to convince her. We want her to see it like we'd have. We want her to see it like Danny does. We want her to see reason. We want her to have the same reaction that everybody else has had. And her reaction is, oh, that looks horrible. And I think she is disturbed, but I don't think enough. And then when Euron goes, that's the most horrible thing I've ever seen and storms off. Nobody's believing that for a minute. Euron, nobody yeah. is believing that. I think, you, he, I think he's seen things that are like 10 times worse than this. That dude is stark, he's crazy. Yeah. I don't know, the, the, the dude in the book, he's seen some shit. That's why he's stark raving mad. So the two mad people in the room are like, I mean, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. Danny's been on the scene. Tyrion believes the stuff he hears. John's been in the shit. You know, so there's a lot of players standing there going, you don't know. Like the hound was out on the ice. They were there and she's just going, okay. So we, but because she doesn't believe us, we want to convince her so badly. And it's delicious when she just doesn't. <laughs> when she's just like, Fuck all that. And Jamie's like, what? She's like, yeah, nah, hell no. Yeah. And she's like, I'm pregnant. And he's like, but. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, it's that's probably one of my favorite. It took me a long time to get to that point because I was all about, oh, this one was talking to that one and everybody's in the room and the costuming and, and it's all cool. And the, but it really just came down watching about the fifth time. I said, this is all about Lena Headey. And when and after the after they they leave right and then Tyrion goes in and talks to her and then they start and then they come back yeah and she's coming back into the into the 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 area and her theme's playing and they're they're playing it at at, at high speed she's wearing that black Darth Vader suit I was just like oh no mm. she has not changed anything Mm-mm. she's yeah she just gotten crazier she's just yeah she's gonna double down on this yeah. She's probably she's crazy, but like still like terrifyingly intelligent. I mean, the oh, yeah, the complete faith she has in herself. I mean, she sees that Danny only has two dragons. So she immediately knows that one of them is dead. Right. Like without question. But and, that, this, and that informs how she she makes decisions from there. At the same time, it's just like, you know, from the outside, it's not her. her you know, she's not thinking rationally because when Jamie says you know, I'm taking, you know, and the, I'm going to take the, we're going to go up north. We're going to take the army and go north. And she's like, no, we're not. And then she's like, he's like, what do you not get? If we don't go and fight with them, they're going to die. And then the dead are going to come here and kill us all. Right. If they win, they're going to come down here and then kill us all for not standing. <laughs> and so it's like, do you not see that you're crazy and you're not making well, any sense? Yeah, that's the Mad Queen side of herself. I mean, what did the Mad King do after, if I've got the history right, like I think he got, he was a prisoner at some point and then he stayed in the Red Keep and he was so paranoid he didn't want to leave. Yeah. I mean, that's what she's doing. Yeah. Like more parallels. Yeah, no. And again, yeah. this is this is actually, again, Martin serves, um, his source material is 15th century Europe. 
And there's been so many leaders who have been like this. We have a president like this right now. I'm just literally not going to see the truth of things. Well, I Lena Headey and Cersei is a lot more intelligent than the Goomba who's in the fucking White House. But you know what I mean. It's like just this whole power mad thing of just not being able to see anything in front of their face. No. That's what kind of blows me away. And, of course, we end with the wall. And if you look at the aerial overhead, you see the dire wolf, all of the whites walking in the shape of the dire wolf head. Go back and look at it. The overhead oh, shot. Oh, really? Yeah. As, yeah, as they it's start the coming start through formation. the formation. Yeah. If they're at the end, after they breach the wall and they're, pour, they're pouring into East Watch, if you look at the formation uh, above the scene, all of the white walkers, it's a dire wolf head. Oh, that's crazy. He's a Stark. He's a Stark. He's a Stark. Um, Can we also talk about the, the reveal with uh, John in that episode? Yes. Again, again, Aegon Targaryen. What are we going to do with that? Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Actually, there there was something, because I think, yeah, it was in Winter, Winter where we do get that, that Tower of Joy scene. And again, it's interesting what, what the music conveys, because we all know the, uh, the Stark theme, which is... Uh, it's my favorite. Her. Right? Yeah. And that scene in the Tower of Joy... So where... heartbreaking, that song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, where Liana whispers the name to Ned, and it, and it's the, the camera's on the baby, and it cuts to... Uh, John, it's it's what we hear. And it's interesting that we hear the Stark theme. Because huh. if you're tuned into it, you're thinking, oh, then he's like definitely a Stark. Like, that's it. Like, that's confirmation. Right. And I would not be surprised if Ramin Jawadi was purposefully misleading you. Because that's he did that with Light of the Seven. Like, it's not too big a, a leap to think that he knew what it was, but he's leading you another direction. But surely people know by now that he's Aegon Targaryen, that he is a Stark and he is a Targaryen. Are we just, are people just not catching on to that? I mean, I didn't know. Oh. But you know now. I know now, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but he did, okay, so he did that before the big reveal. Rami. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That was right, that was right, right. season six. So he's get oh yeah, okay. So he's giving you clues. Copy that. Sorry. Uh <laughs> I mean there's other scenes again. These are not the best stuff up. Look, if we wanted to do the best stuff, like there's Jon Snow dying and coming back to life. There's uh the dragon pit scene. There's Maiden and the Wolf. There's uh the hand getting cut off. There's There's uh all of that. You know, the hound going, you know, crazy on the lemon cloaks, uh there's the hound, the, the the magnificent seven scene out on the ice, yeah. beyond the wall. Like again, you could go on and on and on and on, but just we were talking about like what was serving these stories and bringing us up to date until the end. And now I want to get into. Is it time for for predictions? Are we sure, yeah. Okay, because we've been talking about the characters all along. I feel like that's being covered as we talk about these things. What where does everybody think it's going to happen? If we want to like, if we were hedging bets, if we have theories, now's the time to share them because pretty soon it's all going to be over. But the shouting. So, I don't. Uh, I don't have. I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. I mean, I could say like everyone's going to die, but I mean that's just what always happens. Everyone dies. But I don't know what's going to happen. I can tell you this: that if Ario dies. 
if Sam dies, um, you're gonna quit watching the show. I'm wait, not gonna quit watching wait. the show, but I will. <laughs> I will be like devastated. You'll be devastated. So I mean, like whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. I can't. I can't. I'm done. I can't make a prediction. Because I just, I don't know. I mean, I'm still not over Oprah. I don't know how, and, and Viserion. I don't know how I'm going to take anything. I'm yeah. going to need to be, like, hospitalized. <laughs> I think we're going to lose a lot of supporting characters in the Battle of Winterfell. Sure. Um, and maybe a Stark. Maybe. There was this thing going around that... Um, like, the, the naming of the dragons was interesting, and that Viserion obviously named after Viserys, died. And if we're going by that logic, then the next to die would be Drogon, as in Cal Drogo. And so that could be something. I, I don't know if well, I see another dragon die. It doesn't dying. make any sense, though, because Rhaegal is named after Rhaegar, and Rhaegar is already dead when the show starts. So Right, but I, I think someone was trying to make the point that, that, that Jon will be the one to ride Rhaegal in, in season eight. Could be. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think he's going to ride a dragon. He's going to have to ride Rhaegal because he's the only one, you know, available. Uh, do you have any th- fan theories, Andre? Uh, I mean, other than that, not really. I mean, like, I think there will be a, a big twist with the Night King. I feel like I've seen theories that John will become the new Night King. Um, I don't really know. I mean, like, if we've kind of talked about it before, I think, yeah, the Iron Throne in the end is not going to be the end-all be-all of the story. Yeah. Um, I really don't know where Danny's going to end up, because if she really isn't the one meant to inherit the throne, then what's, uh, what's going to happen? <laughs> like, will she be the hand to John if John goes to the throne? I don't know. So, do you guys want to hear what I think? Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, this is just me playing around this afternoon with like what could happen. It's not remotely what's going to happen. I have no idea. I haven't read any spoilers. I'm not on any other boards anymore. I haven't been on Reddit uh, Game of Thrones since probably two seasons ago. I don't go there. So this is just me off the top of my head spitballing. Uh, should we have some music for this? Just kidding. Um, <laughs> so John's going to sacrifice himself, and he's probably going to take the place of the Night King whom I do believe to be a Stark or Stark-related. He might not be a Stark. It might be an Andal, but I feel like he's betrayed or derivative of the Starks. I don't know. Uh, but John is destined to be the Night King. I think the Night King's been trying to holler at him for a minute. Uh, the way he looks at them. Yeah, it's hard like, like that, too. Yeah, yeah it's like he, there's many chances he could have killed John. He could have just as easily ran that javelin right through John and killed him. Um, that's because he wants, uh, he's saving his place for him. I think he holds his arms out to go, this will be yours soon, bitch. You will be me. And I think at the end, John will sacrifice himself and he'll ride off on the back of Viserion, the ice dragon, and help seal off the wall again. Um, he will contain the army, um, the white army behind the wall, sealing the wildlings safely on the other side of it, um, not behind it, but on the other side of it, giving them, you know, a chance to thrive and, and go forward and be part of the world. Um, Sansa will become Warden of the North, I think, for sure. Whatever that position is now going to be seen as, she'll be the Stark that holds the line at the Winterfell, and all of her lineage will be there to carry that on. Of course, Bran will become a Godswood tree in Winterfell, and generations to come will be informed um, by this wizened 
person. They'll come from all the lands to consult with the Three-Eyed Raven. I think Danny will end up with Tyrion, and she'll burn the Great Throne with dragon fire, and she'll kick rocks on ruling at all. I think she'll end up with Tyrion. They'll ride off into the sunset. They'll be, fuck all this. I don't want to rule. I just want to go live my life. I feel like um, something's happening there. She may, he may be helping raise, um, you know, Danny may be raising John Baby with Tyrion. I don't know. I know this seems like very bizarre, but I think it's going to be something, if she does survive, I think it's going to be a non-position. I don't think she's going to rule much of anything. I think she's going to lose her taste for it. I think Jamie will kill Cersei after she turns into a White Walker after being overrun by the people of Flea Bottom who have become whites. When the mm. Golden Company rolls into King's Landing, I think they're going to get overtaken by the Night Walkers, uh, the Night King's army. They're going to reach that far. And the Flea Bottom uh, people are going to come up from, from the bottom and they're going to kill her. So she's, Jamie's going to run back to the kingdom to find her um, as a mouth-breathing, crazy, blue-eyed monster and he's going to have to kill her. Fulfilling Maggie the Frog's prophecy of being killed by the younger brother. Uh, I think Arya will disappear into Bravos after a valiant fright, almost losing her life. I think she'll kill a bunch of fools. She'll be very deadly and intrigue, maybe on the battlefield. I see her more as like slitting throats in hallways. And then I think she's going to disappear into Bravos where she's destined to uh, be their ruler. I think she is the chosen one of Bravos, and that's where she's going to end up. She'll come back in and once in a while for Thanksgiving, maybe somebody graduation, maybe a wedding, and she'll <laughs> just be like the priest or a bridesmaid or whatever, and she'll be like, surprise, and then she'll be she'll bounce. Um, I think the hound will become a well-known priest for Azora High, and he will travel the world, and he will become literally a, a renowned figure traveling here in Yon. I think the mountain will be burned to death by Drogon. I think Drogon is coming for him. And I think uh, Danny or one of them or Tyrion on the back of a dragon is going to make sure homeboy burns to the ground or maybe the hound on the back of a dragon. I don't know. I think Brienne will sacrifice herself and she'll become a great legend among the knights. Uh, they will remember her forever as the great knight. So all this time of being maligned and being called a knight, I think she'll be known as the great fearless uh, ruler and known for her battlefield exploits at the Battle of Winterfell. I think that's where she's going to die. The Red Witch, uh, Melisandre, she'll make a great sacrifice and save Davos or someone significant connected to her story. Uh, I think she might even be a big part of the standoff with the Night King. She is literally the fire against the ice. So I feel like that old magic that's in her, uh, it'll be her last sacrifice. She'll make She'll make one of those dents in the armor to, to fell him uh, before she pieces out. And she does say she has to die. In I'm going to die in the strange, country, yeah. strange country. I think Varys will end up ruling what is left of Westeros. Um, I think what him and Illyrio started out to do by preserving and ferreting away the twins when um, the Mad King fell, I think that will come to fruition in a very strange way. I think Varys will end up ruling. He'll The throne will be gone. There won't be a throne, and I think he'll run like a people's government. It'll be for the people, by the people. Um, and the decree will be that there will be no decrees. Maybe Sam will... Sam and I will, think Sam will and Jilly will be his uh, hands. with them, yeah. I think Sam huh. will be the hand of uh, Varys and whatever kind of ruler he's going to be. 
uh, the ruler of the people. And that's or maybe what I you'll think finally become a maester. Or a maester, yeah. Maybe a maester at King's Landing, yeah. Could be, yeah. Something like that. I think it's, I think we completely change the way the maesters think. Yeah, I think that whole seat in the, well, I think all the maesters are going to be dead. Yeah. I think, I think, I their, think their that time place, is done. the Citadel's, go, that's going up. That's, yeah. that's out. That's out. But um, I feel like this land will be returned to um, probably what it was designed to be. And the anything that has to do with the faith of the seven will be destroyed. And I think that a new world will return with Brandon the Godswoods, and I think the Reeds and all those people will emerge and start to give the lands back to the the old gods. And um, that'll happen for a time until everybody forgets and uh, John gets mad and comes back and kills everybody. John's going to come back for Thanksgiving too, though. As the Night King and destroy everybody. Just be like, over the wall. So that's what I think. (laughs) (laughs) That's my crazy theory. I sat around this afternoon. Just thinking, cool. what's the nuttiest shit that could happen on Game of Thrones season eight? <laughs> and that's. I mean, what it's I got. not that far fetched. It doesn't sound like completely out of the realm of possibilities. I think somehow magically, Grey Worm will impregnate Masande. It's gonna be a magic baby with his mind. <laughs> um, turns out, Grey Worm is not just a nickname. Um. Magically, you know, like the whole kit. Maybe there's a reverse kind of unicdom. It's magic. Uh, so that's kind of that's what I got. If you guys want to like, if you want to really know, like the really get steeped in the history of Game of Thrones without having to get into the books, I, I enjoy reading the books. Uh, it is time consuming, but they're really enjoyable. I think they're page turners. I think Martin's an excellent writer. But there's a bunch of oral histories on YouTube. Um, just look for them under like uh, Game of Thrones, uh, Complete History and Lore Part 1 and, and on and on and on like that. I think it's under Blue-Eyed McCumber is one of the accounts. Oh, um, I was wa- yeah, I was watching one of those videos. They're really good. They're narrated by the cast, and they give you sort of a deep history and a deep dive into um, the Great Houses. If you want to like do all of that if you've seen the series a couple times over and you want to deep dive into the lore it may give you kind of a picture of what could happen um in season eight if you're into that kind of guessing game so that's all i got is there is there anything else we want to break down musically i just have to say my favorite themes were um the winterfell theme and um the uh, the Lannister theme. Yeah. Those are just Same. I guess Cersei's. I'm just like oh, every time I hear it, I get chills. They really have you have you learned uh, the Bear and the Maiden? No. That's the one that was written about um, Brienne when she was thrown into the pit with the bear and Jamie saved her. That one's interesting. That's that song was written for that. So. So many good things on Game of Thrones. I'm looking forward to it. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm going to cry. It's going to be over. I'm going to get wrecked. (sighs) I don't know. It's going to be rough. Look, I'm just going to warn you guys. Ian knows this about me. But Andre, I'm going to ugly cry. (laughs) Just going to wear a hoodie, man. Just going to wear a hoodie. (laughs) Pull it down over my head. Don't look at me. I'm just going to get a cloak. I'm just going to go get a cloak. (laughs) <laughs> like Ursula's costumers over there on like Wilshire. I'm just gonna get a cloak and just gonna sit in it and watch the episode. Yeah, and wrap my cry. face with a towel. Pull up my flask of wine every once in a while. 
I'm going to literally get <laughs> a, a flask, a flagon. I'm going to get a flagon with a straw. Yeah. I'm going to be a mess. Yeah, it's I'm 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 just I'm going to be anxious. I'm already anxious thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And all these actors, they've already done it. They're like, ha, 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 we've been through hell. We're just sitting over here having cocktails at the premiere. And I'm like, no. Man. So, all right. If we don't have anything else to say about Game of Thrones for now, I'm going to let you guys get out of here. I feel like now that we have this beautiful thing, we figured out how to play music on the show. I feel like you should take us out. What, What song should take us out of the podcast? Oh, I don't know. I feel like I played all of them. Yeah. I feel like Light um, of the Seven is a good way to, to go out, or Game of Thrones, but I feel like Light of the Seven, because you know that that's about to be, that, that whole religion's about to go by the wayside, so. Okay, I can give you some Light of the Seven. Okay. Okay. <laughs>